Well, I uh, really appreciated Sherry's message today. I think I should probably be consulting her more. What do you think? Um, And, of course, our kids are very sharp. So what's the point of today's message that you don't want to leave Jesus out of Christmas? Uh, I almost was going to take a vote and say, how many of you say just skip the adult message because we had the good message already? And then one of you came up to me and said, well, I thought the point was don't pick up Mary Joseph and Jesus in one hand. And I'm like, I'm not even going to put this to a vote. We're, you need more help. So we're going to we're going to go on with the adult message. All right. I won't I won't even tell you who that was. OK. Um, we're going to be looking in just a moment from Matthew's gospel, the 25th chapter. So if you will get your Bible and find that passage, uh, we're going to be reading 1 through 13 and Matthew 25 in just a minute. I have a friend by the name of Bill who a number of years ago was um, working for a publication and he was supposed to cover the story of an opening of a ministry center in Portland. And uh, he showed up on time. He had everything that he needed to have for that day. He uh, got the quotes that he needed from the right people, and he had uh, all the information that he needed to write up the story. He was also the photographer of the day, and he had his camera. He was out just clicking away and uh, capturing all the the scenes that you'd want to capture from a historic day of opening this brand-new ministry center. So he goes back uh, to work. He drops off the film in the department that was going to develop that for him, and they would be able to make a few selections for their publication. And he gets this call from the guy down in developing and says, uh, are you sure you gave me the right film? There's not one picture on this film. And horrified what he had come to discover. And, and I know some of you don't get this because you've only known digital. But back in the day of film, if you didn't get the film connected on the side, you know, with a little wheel and where it would advance the film, then you got nothing. And he'd been snapping away all day without it being properly loaded, and he didn't shoot one shot. Now, he could have gone back the next day and shot a few pictures of the building, right? But the historic day of the grand opening and all the people that and the dignitaries that were attending, that opportunity was missed. That opportunity was lost. Have you ever had missed, lost opportunities. It's kind of a sick feeling when you realize you had this opportunity and you missed it. You lost it. Well, we are hopeful, prayerful, that you will not miss the opportunity that is Christmas. That you'll not just kind of be on snooze and sleep your way through it, but that you will awaken to all the possibility, all the promise that is Christmas. And we are doing that these days by telling stories that Jesus told. And most of the stories that Jesus told fit a category that's called parable. And as we've been saying across these weeks, A parable is a little bit different kind of story. And you'll see that as we get into one of his parables today. Uh, They always have a point and they always tell us something about God. They always tell us something about ourselves and they always tell us something about how uh, God and ourselves can connect. 
But aside from that, there will be some uh, variations from other kinds of stories that you'll see in a parable, and we'll get into that today. In the Gospel of Matthew, there are ten parables that specifically address one kind of theme, and that is the kingdom of heaven. And you know which of those parables uh, we're speaking of because they all introduce the same way. The, the opening line of those parables is the kingdom of heaven is like. And then Jesus will go ahead and tell a story that comes right out of everyday normal living. And it will accentuate something about God, something about ourselves and about how the two of us connect. What we have discovered over these past weeks about parables is that sometimes they disturb us. Right. That was last week. We had a parable that really was disturbing. Sometimes they mirror us. They allow us to have a reflection so that we can see the inner person that we wouldn't have seen probably any other way. Sometimes uh, the parables uh, enlighten us, allow us to have insight into circumstances and situations. And then Jesus was careful to say about a number of them. You know what? Parables are of the nature that some of you are going to get it. Some of you are not going to get it. And in true parabolic form, he says, it depends on your heart. Got a hard heart? You're not going to get these things. You got a soft heart that's open or inclined toward God and the things of God? You're going to get these things. And you'll see what I'm talking about. Today's parable is a parable that is about awakening us. So that, as I said a moment ago, we don't just kind of miss an opportunity. We don't just snooze right through something that God is profoundly up to. And we're going to do that by looking at Matthew 25, beginning with the first verse. So if you have your Bible open, you want to read along with me. I'm going to go ahead and read the uh, text, and then we'll come back and talk about it. Starting in verse 1, the kingdom of heaven is like... Ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish. Five of them were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But when the wise took flask of oil with their lamps, and as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go, rather, to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And here's a sobering phrase. And the door was shut. Verse 11. Afterwards, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for, you know, neither the day nor the hour. Keep your Bible open. So that we can keep talking about the parable as we're moving through it. Now, every time we look at a story, uh, it has a context. So let's think about the context for just a moment. This parable is actually in a series of three stories. The 
first two stories that uh, you can just back up a few verses into chapter 24 are primarily about stories that illustrate how people were not prepared for their master's return. Jesus reminded everyone, you remember how it was in the day of Noah? God was about to judge the entire world and everyone was clueless except for Noah and his family. They were going about their regular business. They were going about marrying. They were going about doing their work and so on like that. And then all of a sudden the floods came and nobody but Noah was ready for that. Well, I'm here to tell you it's going to be like that all over again, Jesus said. The day is going to come when the Son of God will appear And two will be working in a field. And one will be taken with the Lord and one will be left behind. Two women will be working in a mill. One of them will be taken by the Lord. The other will be left behind. Not prepared. Then he immediately went into a second story. And he started talking about how uh, there was a master who had this vast estate. And he took one of his slaves and he made him a manager of all these other slaves. Then he took another slave and made him a manager of this other group of slaves. And he said, I've got to go off and take care of business. You manage the rest of my workers. The first manager took care of the master's slaves made sure they had plenty to eat, made sure that they had the kind of shelter that they needed, that their their needs were tended to so that they could do the work that the master had left for them to do. The second manager said, you know what, who knows when he's going to come back. I'll deal with what he wants me to deal with later. And he neglected the master's servants, didn't give them what they needed, didn't tend to their needs, didn't make sure that they were able to accomplish what had been entrusted to them. And all of a sudden the master returned. And when he returned and he found that the first manager had done everything that he asked, he rewarded him. When they came to the second manager and he had not done what had been asked, he condemned him. Condemned him to hell. So it's in that context, a context of are we prepared for what God is doing? Are we prepared for when God might come with some kind of manifestation of himself? Or will we be ill-prepared? Will we be snoozing? Will we miss the opportunity for what God was seeking to accomplish in our lives? It's in that context that he then tells this third story, the parable that we're focusing on today. And the parable that we're focusing on today highlights... The necessity for preparation in the face of delay. Do you ever feel like God is delaying? You got the sense that God wanted you to tend to some business here. Do this. Become this. Allow me to form your character in this kind of way. Seize this opportunity. Fulfill this promise. And there's a delay and a delay and a delay. I mean, when is God ever going to show up in this kind of way? When is he going to be responsive to what's going on in this scenario, in this situation? How do you stay prepared in the face of delay? Is what today's parable highlights. Let me unpack some of the pieces of the story. He begins by talking about ten virgins. 
Now, this would be uh, either bridesmaids for the bride or just servant girls of the groom. It's not clear who, who these girls are. But here's the idea. They were supposed to tend to the groom's processional. So here's the deal. When a man and a woman move past engagement to betrothal, remember Joseph and Mary were betrothed. It's a step beyond just saying it might be a good idea for us to get married. But it's a high level commitment and covenant between the two that's already been established. All that is left is the consummation of the marriage, the celebration of the marriage. And so when uh, a couple would be betrothed and committed to one another, then the groom would go and make preparations to be able to bring his bride into his father's home. So he would typically go to his father's house and he would add on a room. And they would then have their own room along with the rest of the house at the father's place. It's that kind of background that you find to John 14. Remember John 14 where Jesus said, In my Father's house are many rooms, and I go to prepare a place for you, so that where I am, you may be also, and I will come for you. It's that same kind of picture. And so the groom would go and he would make his preparations. He would add on the room to his Father's house. And then an announcement would be made to various attendants, in this case the ten virgins, the groom's now ready. So you get ready for the processional. And the idea was the groom would go to the bride's house and he would gather his bride and they would be in this processional all the way to his house. And uh, the virgins were supposed to be making merry along the way. And they had, you know, these lamps that would light the way because it was going to be at night. And so they get all ready and they go to the appointed place where the groom is going to show up. He doesn't come and he doesn't come. He's still not ready. You know, where is he? And we kind of fall asleep. And the next thing you know, here he is. And it's midnight. And somebody says, okay, he's here. Let's go. And the ten awaken and they get their lamps ready. And five of them realize, you know what? We burned up all our oil while we were waiting. We're not prepared now for the processional. Now, these lamps were really kind of torches. They would be these long poles, and at the top of the pole would be this vessel that would hold the oil and therefore burn uh, as a a lamp or as a light along the way. And they had burned up all their oil. The five wise virgins had brought a flask of oil with them, so all they had to do was refill the tank, and they're good to go, right? But the five foolish are at the appointed time for the groom's arrival, and they've got no more oil. They, they can't light their lamps. And so they turn to the five prepared ones and say, Hey, let us have some of your oil. Let me borrow some of your oil. And the five prepared ones say, Sorry, there's not enough for me and you. Now, here's one of those points where a parable is different. Okay? The point of the parable is not to say, hey, it's okay just to take care of your own needs and ignore everybody else's needs. There's too much in the rest of Scripture that says we've got to care for those who don't have enough. We care for the poor. We care for the needy. We care for those that have lack. Okay? So that's not the point. The point isn't to validate ignoring the needs of others. The point is this. 
You cannot rest on someone else's preparations when it comes to the kingdom of heaven. You get that? You cannot rest on someone else's preparations for the kingdom of heaven. You must have your own preparations for the kingdom of heaven. And so they dash off to town like, I don't know who you can buy oil from at midnight or 1 a.m., but they, they go off to town to try to find oil. The groom shows up. The five virgins who were prepared have their torches, their lamps lit. The processional begins. They make their way through the town. Everyone's, you know, excited and celebrating. And and all of the party is now entering into the groom's father's place. And when they're all in, the text says the door was shut. Now, again, this isn't commentary on rudeness and exclusivity, and I'm sorry, uh, uh, I'm just really hyper about timeliness, and if you're not on time, then you don't get in. It's, not, it's none of that. Here's the point. There is a period of time that you can be responsive to the kingdom of heaven and the invitations of the kingdom of heaven, and there's a period of time where you can't. That's the point. There's a, there's a time when a door will be shut and opportunity is over and opportunity is lost if you hadn't seized it. That's the point. And so the five foolish virgins somehow find the oil. They light their lamps. They come trucking down to the groom's place. The door is shut. Bang, 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 bang. Let us in. Let us in. We're here. We've got our torches and, and we've got the oil. Bang, 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 bang. And not only does an attendant come to the door and say, I'm sorry, you can't come in. The groom comes to the door with the most sobering words, the most terrifying words that anybody can ever hear. I never knew you. And again, the point is not... How could he have not known them? He knew he had ten at one point, blah, blah. No, the point is this. One of the greatest ancient Near Eastern insults that you could cast upon someone is to come late to their wedding. Because, you you know, these towns were small. Everybody knew everybody's business. Everybody knew the wedding was taking place. Everybody had months, if not a year, to prepare for this whole thing. And you show up late... Major insult in ancient Near Eastern thinking. You don't you don't know me and I don't know you if that's the way you behave and treat this invitation. Now to unpack that a little bit more, friends. This is a a parabolic picture. Of the day that the Son of God comes again. We, we refer to it as the second coming. Or sometimes referred to as the parousia of the Lord. First time He comes, and we celebrate it, He comes full of mercy. 
full of grace. He comes as the Savior who is going to live the perfect life and die the, the uh, sacrificial atoning death. He's going to pay the penalty for our sins. He's going to make it so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be reconciled to God. That's first coming. Second coming, He doesn't come with mercy and grace. Second coming, He comes as judge. Second coming, He comes to separate. We've already looked at these stories. The wheat from the weeds. The true believers from the pretenders. And here's the thing that's illustrated with these ten virgins. They're all together. All ten of them. They're all about the same kind of behavior. They're all gathered for the same kinds of occasion. They all look like and act like they have the same kind of connection to the groom. And five of them are not just foolish, but five of them are pretenders. And they miss the opportunity to not be a pretender, but to be an authentic part of the wedding party. They miss that opportunity. And it's an opportunity that will be lost for eternity. Now, Jesus told a lot of stories to highlight the finality of when the door is shut. One of those stories is about a rich man and a poor man by the name of Lazarus. And in Luke 16, the story goes on about the rich man would sometimes knock some of his table scraps off the side of the table so that Lazarus could have a little bit to eat. It's a big dichotomy, big difference between the rich and the poor. And then one day Lazarus dies. And Jesus said he ended up going to heaven. And there he is in the very bosom of Abraham. He's there in heaven. And soon thereafter, the rich man died. But the rich man was a condemned man. And he went to hell. And he's suffering in hell. And he's, he's being tortured in hell. And it's like if I could just have one little drop of water on my tongue, and it would be a huge relief. It's that miserable. And, and across this chasm that exists between heaven and hell... The rich man can see into heaven and he can see Lazarus there in the presence of God and enjoying the presence of God. And he calls out, oh, if Lazarus could only help me in some kind of way. And he more or less asks God, God, would you send Lazarus back to where my five brothers are? Would you allow him to warn them about how horrible and awful hell is forever? And you know what God says? God says they have Moses. They have the prophets. They have the stories. They know. There's a window of time to become a part of the kingdom of heaven. And after a period, the window is shut. If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets... They won't listen to someone who has risen from the dead. See how it's kind of a foreshadowing of things that were about to happen with Jesus? But let's bring it home. 
Let's fast forward 2,000 years to today. Friends, you had Moses and the prophets. Would it make a difference if one had risen from the dead? Would that story then be the final piece that would convince you that there's a day of salvation and beyond that it's over and I need to tend to today and prepare my life for all eternity? Would that convince you? Because we've not only had Moses and the prophets, but we've, we've got the entire Christmas story. You know about the Annunciation when the angel comes and tells Mary that she's found favor with God and she's going to bear the the very Son of God. You know about her moving off to the nearby town to visit with her Aunt Elizabeth and there they're comparing notes with how God's been working in their lives. Elizabeth's going to bear John the baptizer and Mary Jesus. And you know about her having to break that news to Joseph and Joseph's, you know, working out all the uh, the angst about that. And, and the angel of God speaking into Joseph's life. And so he decides not to put her away in divorce, but to continue their vows. And and he takes her then in, in the census from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And there the baby is born. And you know about the angelic announcements to the angel, uh, the angelic announcements to the shepherds who come and then worship the Christ child. And then later some some pagan guys from the east. Some wise men travel and they come and worship the child. And you, you know about the, the ministry of Jesus. You, you know about the miracles. You know about how he amazed everyone. You know how his authority was stunning everyone. And you know how he had been, without any guilt, turned over to religious leaders and found to be guilty. And condemned. And crucified. And buried. And resurrected. You know, you know, you know the stories. Is it sufficient to totally reorient your life from self and stuff and give yourself to a God who has given you the opportunity for life? And life abundant. The Christmas story is a story of love, God pursuing us, and hope that out of that pursuit we could be reconciled to Him. James 4 8 tells us, draw near to God, He will draw near. To you. So like the parable of the day and the ten virgins, friends, just because you hang out with Christians, just because you're in this place, just because you might say a prayer or you might serve in some kind of way, you might even give an offering, friends, that doesn't mean you have the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is something that comes upon you when you believe the Christmas story and receive the Christmas Christ. And that, from inside to out, revolutionizes and transforms you. And you are not the same person. Has that happened? For you. Here's your opportunity. 
the door is still open for you today. We don't know if it will be open this afternoon. We don't know if it will be open tomorrow, later in the week. Right now, it's open to you. Right now is a wake-up call. Would you awaken to the reality of time you don't have forever? You cannot presume there's a tomorrow or there's another opportunity that God might stir me in ways that turn my heart to Him. Would you awaken to that right now? Would you accept God's invitation? He says, come. Give your life to me. And I will forgive your sins and wash you clean. Make you the righteousness of Christ. Adopt you as my child. I'll prepare a room for you in my Father's house so that we might be together forever. Would you accept that invitation? Would you give your life to Christ in that kind of way? The Bible refers to all those who give themselves to Christ in that kind of way as His bride. And He's the groom. Would you allow Him to so invade your life that the kingdom of heaven comes within you? It is not just something off there and then. It's here and now. Let me pray for you. Would you bow your head for just a moment? Close your eyes for just a moment. Friends, we're not talking, would you be a better person? Would you do good things? Would you get more religious? Would you become more active? We're not talking about any of that. Does Jesus have your heart? Has He come into your life and taken over as Lord of your life? He's the boss. Do you live in the reality of forgiveness of sin and closeness with God? So, Father, I pray for my friends in the house today. For the person that still has not crossed that line of faith and given their life to you, I pray. Would you stir inside of them right now? Would you touch whatever fear, whatever barrier, whatever concern, whatever selfish peace still remains? Would you just touch that and help them to see it for what it is? Would you help every person in this room today to be able to say yes to your invitation? Yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, I will follow Him with all my heart, all my life. Yes, you are my Lord. You are the boss of this life. Help us with that, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.